This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to the elders, past and present. Their systems of law and knowledge long predated that of the modern lawyers who arrived in Australia, and they hold the memories, the traditions, the cultures and the hopes of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. We hope you enjoy our stories. Here at Allens, they want you to learn and they want you to enjoy yourself. Go for it and keep your mind open. But a mentality of celebrating difference. Pro bono is a really important element. You play a pretty critical role. The work we do towards reconciliation, sustainability and philanthropy. God, my friends have taught me so much during this experience. Got off the train and I was like Elle Woods arriving at Harvard. <laughs> I was just like, this is my moment. If you have a smile on your face and you're willing to get stuck in and apply yourself, then you'll bring so much value. I'm Mel. I'm Talia. And And this this is Alan's Alan's Confidential. Welcome to Alan's Confidential. My name is Talia Rodriguez. And I am Melissa Camp. Today we are joined by two very special guests. Um, Our first guest, we have Ben Fong. He is a second year lawyer in the tax team in our Sydney office. And then we have Caitlin Burke, whose voice I'm sure you are all very familiar with, who is a lawyer that has just settled in the disputes and investigations team in Sydney. Welcome to you both today. Thank you. Thank you. Stunning to be here on the other side of the table. (laughs) We should mention that Caitlin has been an Alan's Confidential host for two and a half years. So we're in the presence of a veteran. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favourite episode that you've recorded? There's been so many fantastic conversations that that I've had over the last couple of years, but I think one that really stands out to me was probably the Out at Work episode that I did for Pride Month with Will uh, last year. And we spoke with Rachel Nicholson and Andy Tolle from the Melbourne office. And that was a really fun episode, but also I think it was kind of quite a pivotal point for Will and I in the podcast and our voices. And uh, yeah, it was great. I'll never forget it. But there've been some some excellent ones, some, some that I'm not as proud of because they were recorded <laughs> when I was in a deep state of terror at the start of the pandemic. I don't know why I signed up to this. And I was kind of crouched in my sister's wardrobe in my parents' house, wondering what I got myself into. But we've come a long way. And I'm very, very happy to see the podcast go into the safe hands of you both. And I'm thrilled to see what's around the corner. You're too kind. Thank I you. definitely do not envy you. Having to do this from home last year, I feel very grateful to be sat in the offices today and having an actual proper face-to-face conversation. Very exciting. To kick things off today, we thought we'd just go, well, actually, let's start with our nightmare fuel. So one thing that we want to do to get listeners feeling comfortable that no matter who you are in the firm, no matter what position you're at, at some point in your career, you're probably going to do something quite embarrassing. I myself have embarrassed myself on so many occasions. My favorite thing that happened to me during the clerkship was unpicking a wedgie in front of the chair of the firm. That was a real highlight for me. It was purely on accident. I scoped out my surroundings. I thought I was safe. And then we turned around and made eye contact and we've just never spoken about it ever again. So with that, I'll hand it over to you two. I'll start with Ben. Nightmare fuel. What was the most embarrassing thing that happened to you during the clerkship? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's not a matter of one, it's a matter of which one. Um, and I had to reflect on this for a little bit, probably the hardest part of the prep for this podcast. But I settled on one that I think think is appropriate here. Last year, I was um, in the M&A team where, you know, you're basically helping big deals, you know, get signed and completed. There was one particularly large deal where the team was in the office and I was kind of the only grad on the team. And we're just standing up there 
you know, 6 p.m., 7 p.m., 8 p.m., and D-Day is coming and it's, you know, it's pretty late. And they're just like, look, Ben, you can, you can go down as the envoy to welcome in the tired lawyer from the other side to make sure he doesn't get lost. I'm like, you know what? This is my one job. I can deliver. <laughs> so I go down. I'm like, this is my moment to shine to show that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up to the job at Allen's and I go downstairs. The streets are deserted. I wait there for 10, 15 minutes. I'm thinking, where is this lawyer? What's happening? And then finally, I see this, this one guy appear. It's about 20 minutes down the line and he's wearing a suit and I don't have my glasses on. I'm, sure, I'm just like, at 8 p.m., who's walking around in a suit towards Alan's waving at you? Because he was waving at me. So immediately I thought, I've clocked him. This is the lawyer from the other side. <laughs> I just yell out have at the visual. top of my voice. Yep. I'm just like, I think his name was Michael or something. I'm like, Michael, great to see you. And the, the guy crosses the road and he's just like, I'm actually not Michael the CEO of the client on the other side. I'm like, all right, fantastic. (laughs) I couldn't even, you know, turn around or anything because I then had to accompany this bloke up the lift to level 28, which is actually a lot of levels in this situation. (laughs) It's a long lift ride. Yeah. It's a long time. But I got to know him quite well. He had great travel plans and uh, I'd like to say we stayed in touch. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been nice. Would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um. I, I too have um, innumerable uh, instances of humiliation and continue to do so on a daily basis, <laughs> um, hourly basis even. But as any faithful listener will probably know by now, I've shared a large volume of those already on the airwaves. So I've had to have a think about what I, I bring to you today. I kind of thought back and I remembered a, a, a pretty full-on situation in, in my clerkship where I accidentally called um, the emergency services. Um, so I'll, I'll step you through it. Basically- Did I hear that correctly? <laughs> yeah, no, you did. Yeah. Which, so which of the emergency services? Just so like all general of switchboard. Oh, just, yeah, there just, we go, triple zero. Yeah, so, we're in the triage. Yeah, yeah. I know that, that sometimes people dial into this podcast because they don't know a lot about what happens inside a corporate law firm, but I can assure you things will have had to go seriously catastrophically wrong <laughs> for a clerk to be calling triple zero. So I was doing some legal research. Again, red flag, this isn't how the story should start. And I was using one of the databases for the first time and I was like my second week or something and I'd been told to call the help desk, the the Alan's IT help desk, if I needed kind of to update my login details. So I thought I had the most important job in the world. I was panicked. It was crunch time. Of course, I was probably being given a piece of work that didn't even exist to make me feel better. I was like, God, okay, I've got to get my Westlaw login. I'm going to call help desk now. And so I sat there with my kit and I, I called what I thought was the help desk extension, which is 5,000. Of course, I missed the five. And I called triple zero <laughs> to get a Westlaw login. So for a long time, I think, I mean, I tried to keep it discreet, but I was known amongst my peers as the clerk that called triple zero to get access to Westlaw, which is up there. And did they help you? What happened? Um, luckily, I realized before the the dispatch picked up yep. because I, I honestly wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I had actually taken up bandwidth on a an operator but I wonder who in the firm the um $200 ambo bill would have gone yeah, to as well true. if it actually got through maybe whoever hired me yeah. like yeah <laughs> that's fair. that's quite reasonable I don't know yeah it's up there but I mean I'm I, look there, there's just no end to the amount of mistakes that you can make early in your career and and actually as it continues and I think 
you just got to lean in. You got to embrace that because otherwise how boring would life be? And also if I moved around the world concerned about the mistakes I would make, I would quite literally be paralyzed from the moment I woke up because I make so many. I'm not really giving off a sheen of professionalism here, but I assure you it's all just, you know, it's in good measure and it, and it helps you. It shapes you. Absolutely. It's very sage advice. It makes me look forward to what my career holds in terms of embarrassing moments. Hopefully I can top that um, and I can make you feel a little bit better. So we'll dive into today's content, starting with the rotations here at Allen's. As a graduate here, you'll have two 12-month rotations. And as a clerk, you'll have a three to four week, one rotation everywhere but Sydney. And in Sydney, you'll have two five-week rotations. What was it like for you, Ben and Caitlin, doing two 12-month rotations? You might start with you, Ben. Yeah, sure. I have to say, when I was starting out, I wasn't so sure about having the longer 12-month rotations as a grad. But having actually gone through one, I'm definitely a big fan and I'm quite sold on it, actually, because I feel like, as Caitlin was talking about, you get in into this firm and you, you don't really get how everything works. And it's, it's just a process of taking it all in. And that takes time. And so even last year, it wasn't till, you know, a good three to four months in when I was kind of seeing how everything goes around the firm in terms of, you know, how fast matters flow, who the people are doing different deals and things like that. And having 12 months just means that you're going to get onto a deal from start to end. Because with a shorter term, you might get some overlap or you might, you might be lucky, but with 12 months, it's just much more likely that you get to start something, see it through and then see it wrap up with a happy ending. I can definitely speak to that. Having rotated for 12 months through the disputes investigations team, nothing happens fast in a courtroom. We all know that. So it was definitely such an advantage to have 12 months in that team and being able to see matters through start to finish and getting to sit in on, a, on appeals and just full court hearings. And I think it was very important to have that 12 months there. What about you, Caitlin? I think the 12 month rotation model worked well for me because I generally take some time to kind of acquaint myself with my surroundings. And I mean, as you've gathered, try, try not to call triple zero at any given moment. That takes me a little bit of time. But yeah, so much of entering the workforce and, and starting in a new team is really just becoming at ease with the way that things work around you. And so I really like the idea that you can get over that kind of sensory hurdle and then over the course of the year, really get stuck into some of the work. And I don't think that I would have been able to do that with as much depth had the rotations, at least for me, been much shorter. I was also battling with being remote for the first time when we were in, a, in our very first rotation. So I actually feel really lucky that we had that six months in person in the second half of the year, because for me, it kind of felt like that's where the learning really started. And I think it's good as well, because you can kind of it's almost as though you're moving into an entirely different side of the firm. And as much as within the practice groups, there's a lot of overlap, the practice groups themselves, particularly the differences between the litigation or the contentious and non-contentious or transactional teams, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, means that it, it does feel a little bit like you're going somewhere completely different, completely new, totally new networks of people. You might see a few familiar faces, but that's quite a nice pattern that emulates to an extent a little bit of university in a way because you're still learning, you're still moving and changing and you get that new training to come along with it. So I think the year rotations work really nicely for me and I think they're a good model. I have to agree. And just to pick up on something that you said about the training, like I found in my 
first year and again now in my second year, every single one of the different teams that you go through at Allens has kind of specialized training for that team as well as the broader training program that's rolled out across the whole graduate cohort. And I feel like that training went on for at least nine out of the 12 months of my rotation. Like, I don't know about you guys, but For me, in competition, we had a mixture of like theoretical trainings where they would do like a different topic every week. But then we also had practical trainings where they'd send you like an example of a case that they'd worked on previously and kind of get you to like go through that and write up your own advice or whatever. And then you'd sit on a call and actually like talk through where you landed on the advice and they'd ask questions and then they'd share with you the actual final work product that Alan's sent out to the client. And that went on through my whole rotation, like for the whole year. So I feel like the training programs that are offered at Allen's over the course of the rotation as well, by the end of your rotation, you feel very oriented in your team with the people you're working with, with the subject matter. I felt like it just, yeah, makes you feel a lot more comfortable. Was that your experiences in your rotations as well, Ben? Yeah, definitely. It's spot on with the word orientating. I mean, with the team that I was in, M&A, there was a similarly fulsome training program where they go through all the different types of private and public M&A. And I won't bore you with the details, but you, you come out after many, many months, basically, m- the majority of the year, you come out of it with like a much better sense of the kind of work that's on offer for you as a grad. And if you return to that team, then you know exactly what, what you can do. I remember a a lot of the training was really useful, particularly in the areas of law, areas that weren't litigation or disputes kind of work. I remember one exercise involving a negotiation, which was effectively like a mock negotiation. And I remember receiving very stern and colourful emails throughout the course of maybe two to three months from one of my peers, James Courtney, who did not hold back in really embodying the character of the opposing side. And that was certainly good fun. And I think the way that it's built in to your kind of curriculum and schedule as you move through GDLP and your first and second rotations is done kind of quite naturally and it works well. So yeah, I feel the same. I remember going through university and not being sure what I wanted to do. And I feel like that was quite a common sentiment among my peers. It's standard that not everything that Allens offers is also offered at university. So for example, there's not a subject in mergers and acquisitions at the University of Wollongong where I attended. So it can be tricky to know what you want to do and where you want to go. So how did you pick your rotations and what support was available to you to help you make that decision? It's a good question. I remember looking at the list of practice groups that were available to preference before my clerkship, actually. So this was even before I'd started as as a graduate. They meant like absolutely nothing to me. Like I was looking at it at real estate. I was like, cool, I think that's a building. Um, <laughs> I had genuinely- Banking and finance, is that a bank? Yeah, could be. <laughs> Maybe. Might be. Something to do with financing a thing. I recognise the word dispute, which is probably a good thing, given I was in the fourth good year start. of my law degree. That sounds dramatic. That sounds like a bit of me. Let's get in there. Turns out it was a bit of me. So that's good. But that gives you an idea of just how little I understood about, I guess, particularly the more transactional teams in the firm when I first started. And so that isn't unexpected. Like you were saying, you know, universities give you a fantastic breadth of subject and theories and and kind of get you really stuck into the academics of law. But often a lot of the day-to-day practices of particular niches in commercial law are saved for when you start 
as a lawyer. And so you do need to kind of ask around. And I think it starts with your clerkship. It starts when you're doing work experience. It starts when you're asking anyone inside or outside a firm, ask people at uni, ask your lecturers, ask your friends. But Allen's also gives you a lot of contacts and opportunities to discuss the direction that you might want to go in and what you might want to dip your toes into as soon as you start. And there's certainly no kind of limit to that. So even if you'd put down a preference and then, you know, you thought, oh God, I don't even know what that means. Or, you know, you're coming up to starting as a grad or, or a clerk, you can pick up the phone and have a chat to s- just really try and get a feel for what people do day to day. I still didn't really know what a tech lawyer did when I started my second rotation in TMT, which is technology, media and telecommunications. I learned pretty quickly what they did. There are definitely options for you to learn that before you kind of hit hit the ground running. Yeah. So there's no need for a baptism by fire is what you're saying. Yeah, no. I mean, like to an extent, everything will be and always is in this firm and in law generally. You've got to kind of throw yourself in the deep end at, at some point, but there is so many people there going through the same thing and a million other people there to let you know, give you assistance and support and and guide you in the direction that you might want to be in. You made it sound so elusive, like don't know what you're going to get into until you're here. <laughs> Genuinely, maybe that's because I just hadn't read enough about what I was meant to, what I was meant to know. But yeah, you have an idea, right? You, you think, you know, oh, I, I understand what the client's like and I understand this and that, but it wasn't truly until I'd started that I would know what on earth a lawyer would do day to day in a firm like this. It's the, what am I actually doing with my hands and my brain and my mouth every single day? I just don't know until I was there. People come with varying experience, but yeah, there's no need to be alarmed or distressed if you if you don't know the ins and outs of every practice group. And I think what you said as well, like Alan's giving you so many supports when you're going through that process. Like I remember I really enjoyed comp and consumer law at uni. And I remember going into my clerkship, writing my cover letter, being like, this is an area of law I'm really interested in. And then Lauren Kay, who was the head of recruitment at the time, was like, oh, I know so many people. Like I'm going to set you up with this person for a coffee and I'm going to set you up with that person for a coffee and like come over here while you're at this like clerkship event and let me introduce you to so-and-so and was so out of her way. And I remember thinking, wow, like I am not even at a first round interview yet. I've just met you people and you're already so willing to invest in me and give me your time of day. And I did go and have coffee. I feel like I'm like flexing a little bit here with Geneva, the OG <laughs> podcast host, but like, you know, they were, they were so willing to set you up with people and give you the time of day to like actually talk through what do you do? Because I don't get it. I understand theoretically that this sounds kind of cool, but like, how does that translate into like what you do every day when you sit down at your desk? I don't know if you had a similar experience, Ben, like, did you find that when you express interest in things, people were willing to kind of just sit down with you? Yeah. Like gas bag? Gas bagging is very um, <laughs> prolific around, around this, this place. And I think that's a really good thing. You talk to people at Allen's and generally people say that it's a very collegial firm. And I think what that means practically is that you can, if you wanted to investigate a certain team, it wouldn't be hard to, you know, reach out to a lawyer or if you don't know the lawyer directly, ask a, maybe a clerk in your cohort or a grad in your cohort as the case may be and say, look, do you know someone who might be willing to sit down and talk me through what they have day to day in comp or employment or whatever the team is? And that I think is a big advantage of, you know, doing the clerkship and meeting a big cohort of people. It does open the door to those interactions. And I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, I only know four or five people closely. But the reality is, is that you probably are on good terms with the people in your cohort. And you can just say, look, even if you're not in that team now, do you know somebody who is? 
And you'd be amazed by how many times the answer is probably going to be yes. Yeah. And I think even if you're not started yet or you're not, you haven't done a, a clerkship, you're thinking about it, maybe you haven't done it yet, or even you haven't done a clerkship and you're thinking about joining the firm at a different level, I would say the same applies. Uh, if you ask someone to talk about themselves here, you'll generally find <laughs> that this is a building Willing full of people <laughs> that love to talk. I would hazard a guess that it'd be virtually impossible to find someone here that wouldn't enjoy talking about what they do day to day because all of their loved ones and housemates are so um, unbearably sick of it that they they love an audience. I agree. I had a 50-minute coffee this morning. Nice. How does a coffee catch-up go for 50 minutes? Well, it does at Alan's. That's <laughs> important stuff. That's right. Moving on. Mel and I understand that during your first rotation at the firm as a graduate, you are subject to what is known as the LSA, and that stands for the Legal Services Award. What is the LSA? What does it mean? What does it look like? What actually is it? Before you started, did you know what it was? Yeah, I'd heard a little bit about the LSA before. A short version is, is that it's a award that applies to people working in the legal services industry before they become a lawyer. So, you know, paralegals, clerks and graduates here are all covered by the LSA. And one of the things that a big benefit of it is that you have to work certain hours under the LSA and you can't exceed that. And at Allen's anyway, that's implemented as a kind of graduates finish by a certain time. Then after that, they, they go home. And, and that, that's kind of something that we had for the first few months of our graduate rotation before we became lawyers. And I think, Caitlin, you also had LSA stuff for your time as well. That's right, Ben. I also had the LSA as a grad and that was for the first six or so months of my first graduate year, which was when I was in disputes. There was also quite a large pandemic unfolding. So I had pretty niche combo of things going on, <laughs> but um, I certainly think it was a really helpful way to ease in to work as a full-time corporate lawyer, um, combining that with the training you get and also your GDLP, there's a lot going on. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll say before I joined the firm, I thought there was a lot of preconceptions around the LSA and I was like, this has to be fake. That sounds too good to be true. You're starting at a top tier corporate firm and they're letting you, you know, just work between business hours and then head home and you have this great work-life balance. It's not illusory. It turns out the LSA is real. I, I can attest to that, but it's a great way to transition from going to uni and working probably casual or part-time and then transitioning into full-time work because it can be tiring and it's something you have to adjust and get used to and you're trying to juggle maybe moving out of home as well and getting your practical legal training done, your PLT before you're admitted and you're juggling training. So it's a really nice way to ease into full-time work. I agree. And I think for our clerks as well, like I know over the summer period that's just been, we had clerks in our team before close of business every day, 10 to 15 minutes beforehand, people would start walking around the floor telling all of the clerks, like, send your final email. It's time to go home. You need to leave now. And it was really great seeing that valued. And I think Allen's as a firm was really focused on getting us out the door on time so that we could spend that time bonding with our peers, you know, going to Clark Sport, going to Clark Trivia, going to intrafirm Clark events, or, you know, just generally going out with the people that we'd hung out with for the day afterwards to get to know each other better. And I think that was a really important time in building friendships and connections across the firm with your fellow clerks and, and graduates. And I suppose on that note, 
It'd be really great to hear from you, Ben and Caitlin, about what your personal experience was of the LSA, both in your clerkship and then kind of carrying through to your grad rotations and what ways it impacted your experience as a clerk and as a graduate. I think it just enabled me to be able to slowly build up to a level of the demands of of being a full-time lawyer along with, you know, the various study requirements that you've already mentioned in a way that allowed me to cognitively function and (laughs) not end up in a like heap by the end of the week, which sounds really dramatic. But um, I think anyone that has started a new job can attest to the fact that it doesn't even matter what you're doing on your first day. You could be like a Christmas casual anywhere or if you, you know, so many jobs that I've worked in the past like that, it fully doesn't matter what you're doing on your first day. You're always exhausted. And that's just because everything around you is new. So that's why I think it's nice to have that really strict division of work in that first little period. I found it very helpful as well, but for a slightly different reason. I think when you're subject to the higher ups in the firm saying, look, try and focus on getting things done in a certain period of time, it has a bit more gravity than deadlines that you set for yourself. And I think a lot of the people I knew at law school and and many uni students in general find it easy to you know, get something done in time for a uni deadline. You know, if the assessment's due, you're going to do it. But if you have your own self-imposed deadlines, it can be just a little bit harder to be as strict with yourself. And I think having that deadline in terms of time helps you to organize your day a little bit more in a slightly more focused way. And it's a really good skill once you come off the LSA as well, because then you're able to work to a certain deadline and not just let something drag on for countless hours. You, you do sense have, have a sense of time that you might not otherwise appreciate. So the LSA is not offered in the same way at every firm. And we've spoken about the way in that it's structured at Allen's, working between particular business hours and getting to make the most of your work-life balance at the firm. Another thing that Allen's does a little differently to other firms is its approach to working in a team. So at Allen's, we have what is called a non-siloed approach. I had no idea what that meant when I was going through the clerkship process. I used to just feign awareness and just nod and smile and be like, oh, I know exactly what's going on. What does that actually mean? What does silo and non-silo mean? The approach at Allen's of having non-siloed teams means that rather than being perhaps tied to only work for one partner and just the work that they bring in necessarily. You can work for any of the partners and senior lawyers within your team. So how that might play out in practice is if you worked in DNI, where there's quite a large number of partners doing quite a diverse range of matters, you can actually get an experience whereby you work on maybe something on financial services, then another day you might work on something that's related to a much smaller commercial litigation matter and and still kind of have the freedom to do maybe both of those matters in tandem. I think that's a big selling point for Allen's and it certainly was when I was applying because I thought when you're a young lawyer or in professional services, really what you want to get is as much exposure as you can during those formative years, just because it gives you a little bit more of a chance to see different industries, different clients, and also how different people work, which helps you form your own style. For sure. I don't think I had any idea about the weight that this approach would have on my career and how important it's been in me garnering an experience in such a range of areas in my first rotation in the disputes team, but also working for various people and learning from them um, all, how to talk to clients, how to communicate, how to advocate, how to negotiate. 
I think what you touched on there is is a really good point as well. Like I think when people talk about silo versus non-silo, they often think immediately of the flows of legal work that come through the team. And so you're thinking strictly about, oh, well, silo in the sense that I'm getting a certain kind of practice in through one partner. But I think also you can think of it in different types of people that you're working with as well. That naturally flows. So you have an opportunity, like you were saying, to immerse yourself in teams of people that are very, very different. Some of them you'll just be working directly with a partner on a matter, for example, and others you might be on a huge team with loads. There might be multiple partners, like three senior associates, a whole bunch of associates and a lot of junior lawyers. And those two experiences are vastly different, even if they were, say, for example, in the same area of law. So I think there's that. And there's also different leadership styles and different styles of working and different people. And you get on with different people naturally. That's not unique to law. You find your people. And I think a system where you're empowered to navigate that for yourself is one that I've, yeah, I've really been grateful for because you do have the ability to recognize when something is working for you and when it's not as well. And both of those things will happen. As much as it's exciting when you find someone that you work well with or an area of law that you love, you equally have to be able to recognize when something isn't for you. And that happens too. It's quite beneficial in that sense. And it sometimes requires you to have a little bit more advocacy for yourself. You have to kind of push yourself into those different directions if you want to try new things, but it's all there. It's all for the taking. You've just kind of got to get in there and grab it and find what you like. Picking up on that, I think the approach, like you said, gives you a a lot of scope to advocate for yourself, both in terms of like your workload and what kind of work you want your workload to be made up of. And it teaches you really valuable communication skills to be able to say to people like, no, I can't take on this extra thing, you know, for the next two weeks because I'm actually working on this other matter or I'd be really keen to try out something within your practice group when something else comes up that you need staffed, like I'd love to be kept in mind. And it does kind of teach you to go out of your way to really figure out what else is going on in the rest of your team, what everyone else is working on. And yeah, I guess just like become really immersed in what's going on around you, what the people around you are working on and what you're actually interested in when you hear someone, you know, picking that up. I'd be curious to hear how, I guess this is a coming full circle, but In your first rotation, Ben, obviously in the mergers team at Allens, we have a really broad range of work there and how that impacted like your rotation under the non-siloed approach and how many different people you got to work under and like how many different kind of styles of work I guess you got to do within your first 12 months. Yeah, it's a great question, Mel. It is a very broad church in M&A. You've got a very varied practice between the partners, even in the Sydney team. You know, you can work with people in the other offices as well. I certainly did. I worked with um, one of the partners in Queensland for a bit near the end. I think in terms of my experience, I got to work on a pretty surprising range of deals. Like at the start of the year, I thought, okay, cool. I might work on a couple of ASX things and I'll do a few due diligences, whatever those are. We'll see how we go. Awesome. It ended up being, you know, I was thrown into kind of a TMT deal, which is basically media and technology stuff. And then, you know, a couple of fairly sizable infrastructure deals that I definitely wouldn't have stuck my neck out for until I'd met people and they'd said, this is pretty cool. You should get on it. And then a few private deals as well. So things that weren't on the ASX necessarily or, um, 
open to the general public to invest in. That was really rewarding because the way that people work in one of those large public markets deals is different, not completely different, but there's a lot of nuances that you don't see if you're just doing maybe private deals, for example. So I thought it was really beneficial for my time last year. There's definitely the freedom, I think, to let the team know what you're interested in. And you're also given the freedom and the the scope to find that out as well. During my 12 months in the disputes team, I worked on class actions. I did insurance matters, financial regulation. So it's working with the banks. Then I also did a lot of smaller litigious matters as well. Saw a few things go through court. So it's incredible what you can be exposed to in 12 months when you're working under this non-siloed approach and just the range of people that you can work for and really get to know in that time. I feel like I've said it so many times, but it is seriously a pick your own adventure. Like you come in on day one and it's just <laughs> the whole world is your oyster. There is so many people and so much going on and really just go for gold. I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you both Caitlin and Ben so much for taking the time today to speak to us and share your insights with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you both for having us. I feel like I'm leaving the podcast in very safe hands. Likewise.